In today's episode, I chat to Avril Flynn about a really important but little used blood test that can help you take a bigger role in your health and your baby's health during pregnancy and postpartum. We'll discuss a new form of iron that doesn't leave you constipated and is much easier on the stomach. And whether you're low on iron or not, this is an episode not to miss. Avril is a midwife, hypnobirthing, childbirth educator and mum to Felix. Avril is also the co-presenter of the Stripped Bear podcast. Avril is the pregnancy advisor to Active Iron and, as you'll hear, is passionate about helping parents to optimise their health and wellness during pregnancy. Welcome, Avril, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast to share your expertise on this really important topic. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy, and so lovely to chat to you. I suppose we sometimes learn about the physiology around birth and when we talk about how we can optimize, and I know we've spoken about this before, but I always look from a factor of birth is a normal and should be treated as a normal and very exciting part in some part of somebody's life. But how can we optimize our health within that? So not in only to enable us to have a healthy pregnancy and a great birthing experience, but how can we actually use it as an opportunity to allow people to understand their own physiology and their own health and and how they can make that the best it can possibly be. And the big thing is that iron is the most common micronutritional deficiency in the entire world. But very interestingly, it affects both low, medium and high income countries and at a huge, you know, in a huge amount of ways. But we're talking about probably between one and a half and two billion of the world's population are are iron deficient. And most of those uh, people are, are women of childbearing age or children. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal that affects so, so many. And, you know, and to bring it back, why is iron important? So the biggest thing is it's a micronutrient. Obviously, we don't make it in our own bodies. So we get it via during pregnancy via our mothers, firstly. Um, and then we get it in, in in what we eat, what we take into our bodies. So it's essential, obviously, for oxygen transportation. So it feeds every single cell in every single part of your body with oxygen. And obviously there, therefore, it is a huge, important part of energy metabolism. And then we're getting into cognitive function. It's really important for blood cell formation and self-division. What's very important at the moment, it contributes to a healthy immune system. So unless you have a good iron level, your immune system will definitely be compromised. And so it's really, really important. But it is difficult to get enough of it and difficult to get the right amount of it and how would how would somebody how would somebody know if they were low in iron is there any way that they can tell yeah so a a simple blood test and so blood test an fbc which is a full blood count i forget what it's called in the states yes Um, fbc would be fine yeah yeah and within that and um, that just gives us a picture of what our hemoglobin is. And it gives us a picture of the different components and the percentages of those components within our blood. But ticking a little box on the same. So in the same blood test, we can check a ferritin and your ferritin, Tracy, tells you what your iron stores are. 
So an FVC will tell you, you know, you have a good amount of iron in your blood, but that's a good event. That's just a snapshot of now. It doesn't take into account what your iron needs might be. And if your iron is low in the stores, you are iron deficient. And that's one of the things that we don't kind of is only beginning to be understood and it's only beginning to really be taken seriously. And what would be the impact for somebody who was um, had low ferritin levels during their pregnancy? So in your pregnancy, your need for iron increases by two to three times. So the WHO and the CDC would recommend an intake every day of iron of between 27 and 60 milligrams. To put that into context, one cup of spinach, and that's cooked spinach, will provide you with about 2 to 2.5 milligrams. So, And and that's non-heme iron, so that's a non-animal source of iron. So you would need to eat minimum between 10 and 15 cups of iron at the minimum to give yourself any sort of a chance of the intake of iron that you would need, which is a crazy amount of something to take in. And the thing is, once your ferritin is low before or in early pregnancy, no amount of what you eat, so nothing in your diet, will ever be able to compensate for the amount of iron that you need because this is every single day for yourself and for your growing baby. The baby tends to, I mean, how amazing our bodies are, we tend to compensate really, really well up until the mid-second trimester. And then the things that we put down to normal pregnancy, such as tiredness, irritability, um, and all those sorts of things that are that are taken as normal pregnancy, and I say that in inverted commas, so normal kind of discomforts of pregnancy, could be down to the fact that your iron is low. I'm I'm just uh, still processing how much spinach. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> so and, if and yeah, go on, go ahead. Sorry, excuse me. No, I was just about to say. So if um, so if ferritin levels are not. They're not routinely checked when somebody no, is not just... routinely checked. And we have to remember as well that, you know, if you are a normal, healthy woman or person or pregnant person, chances are probably preconceptively, unless you've perhaps been going through some fertility assistance, you probably haven't got your bloods done. Even if you do get your bloods done, chances are that they won't have checked your ferritin unless you specifically ask for it or they suspect that your iron is low. The Well, not so hilarious, but the very funny thing as well that we have to understand that the rates of which we consider low iron or low ferritin are based on really, really, really old charts from, from men. So they were based on the physiology of men, not pregnant women. Oh, well, but, but we've seen this in a lot of a lot of research where it hasn't actually, it, you know, all of these things are based on uh, generally a white male as opposed to, you know, the multifaceted angles of which a person can come to pregnancy at. So even within those, you know, the things that even if you get a very good general practitioner, Unless you are exhibiting signs, they won't check that. And the standard bloods that you get in your booking bloods, which would be your group and your full blood count, 
they don't standard check ferritin levels. So your hemoglobin might seem absolutely fine. But if you don't get your bloods checked again until the third trimester, you could have spent that entire second end of first and the entire second and most of your third not only being low in, low in ferritin but low in iron and your body has been trying in very difficult conditions to compensate for that and we know that babies mothers who have low iron in pregnancy those babies can have low iron in the first three months of life and definitely can have low iron later in life so so there's a generational fact of this as well and all we could, all we need to do to actually, I suppose, advocate for ourselves and to advocate for the people that are looking to us for advice to, is to get the message out there. Ask for your ferritin to be checked, not just if you feel that you're a bit tired, but as a standard. If we did that, I really think we'd be quite shocked with how low mm. a lot of people's ferritins were. But more than that, people would understand that perhaps supplementation in a much more wider way. So not just taking a bit of iron at the end of pregnancy, but actually supplementing right throughout would preclude the need for very uncomfortable, very expensive treatments later on that move a woman from being a normal, healthy, pregnant person into being, quote unquote, a patient. Uh, which ultimately um, is is the goal of of all of us in in well I would hope sure, is, to, yeah. is to optimize that health and and to make sure that pregnant people and pregnant families are armed with the information to enable them so that they're not treated as somebody who is unwell but that they are using their information to optimize their health so that they have more choices within their care and they can say no hold on a second I'm healthy as a horse. Do you find Avril that people are reluctant to? I guess, insist on getting this test because, uh, you know, and I'm, I don't know if it's been your experience where you'll meet pregnant people and they're, they don't, they're not really considering that they might have low iron or their ferritin levels are low. But the fact that, well, I'm pregnant, I'm supposed to be tired. It's being normalized, this tiredness, which can yeah, be normal I, for some people. And, and growing a human is really hard work. Yeah. But... It shouldn't be just a given that you need to spend the best part of 10 months being exhausted. And on, on the flip side, what if all you needed to do was up your iron take and all of a sudden you might feel like you're full of energy? And better than that, preclude the need for eating 15 cups of spinach for a start. Yeah. But, you know, as the baby grows, your need, your iron requirements increase. And also we have to look at, we're talking about a singleton pregnancy of maybe a first time parent. If you have your babies close together, if you end up having a cesarean section or abdominal birth, or you have any sort of a blood loss, and we know that medics, midwives and doctors are really rubbish at measuring blood loss, and then you are facing into blood loss, you know, the normal lochia, if you're starting that journey from a place of not having a really good ferritin and a really good iron level, is it any wonder that after six weeks and all of that, that you are going to feel absolutely flattened? 
Yeah, so it, it even is going to impact your postpartum in ways that it's going to affect that fourth trimester. And and the fourth trimester, what's the big thing that we hear from parents? I'm so tired, and of course it's ex- exhausting. But what if you have all of the stores within yourself so that yes, you are tired, but you're not facing into that absolutely flattened exhaustion. And we know. Good iron levels mean that your body has everything it needs to do to produce a good amount of uh, lactation and milk and that you can recover and your body can heal. Iron and wound healing, and that's either internal or external, is so vital. And if you have a low iron or low ferritin, your risk of infection is greatly increased. So there's a whole host of reasons why we need to get the message out there that alongside vitamin D and folic acid, um, I would certainly advocate that if you don't just, you know, if you if you don't want to take it, get your ferritin levels checked, get your FBC done um, and get it rechecked, not just because you feel tired, but because that's how we optimize our own health. And for anyone listening in that's preparing or getting getting ready for the big day, I was reading some more research on this on low iron and, and on anemia and how yeah. it can impact the contractability of the uterine muscles. If you're, again, working from a state of depletion, your body exactly. can't do the work it needs to do on the day. So even for that reason, go get this test. Get your yeah, ask to get and, your ferritin levels and checked. Just, and just to get that messed out there, deficiency is progressive. So you don't just jump from a low ferritin to iron deficiency anemia. There is a whole sliding scale to get there. And if you can can, I suppose, get in there before you reach IDA iron deficiency anemia, you have a really good chance of being able to pull it back um, within the time frame of a pregnancy, meaning that by the time the big day arrives, you can you can be really well and healthy. If we think of iron as the fuel of our cells, if you don't have enough when your uterus is, is having the biggest day of its life, of course, your contractibility, of course, the mode of your contractions, how well your uterus works is going to be hugely impacted by the oxygen car- carrying ability of the blood that's feeding it. You know, if we think about that physiology on a very basic level, it makes a lot of sense. Just as important as if not more important right after birth, it, are you saying then that your risk of having like a postpartum hemorrhage increases as well because the uterus is not contracting properly that that is it is it's not particularly well researched as we know the it can be quite difficult because you have to retrospectively look back on the reasons but we know that when you have a low iron women who have low iron have an increased risk of of postpartum hemorrhages but more importantly what isn't even considered, even if you had an estimated blood loss, which would be considerably low, yeah, you might be more deeply impacted on that. So they won't consider it a postpartum hemorrhage. But if your iron is low, you could be deeply impacted as if you had a much lar- larger blood loss if your hemoglobin and your ferritin is low. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I'm sure you've you've experienced it in your work as well, where you'll meet somebody who had, you know, a you know, 300 mil blood, blood loss and were just really knocked Flattened over by it. it. And absolutely. someone else could have lost a thousand mils and, and they're totally like, yeah, fine. I'm good. You know, we always have to have 
scales and rates, but, you know, it's the whole thing of individualized care and looking at this person as in a holistic sense, as opposed to, well, you know, their blood loss wasn't that great and dismissing their worries or how they're feeling. And also, if you have a blood loss that might impact on you or make you make make you feel unwell, that has a direct correlation with lactation. Your body can only do so many things well at the one time. And if your body is trying to recover and, you know, replenish a blood loss, your ability, you know, you often run into issues where your milk production is affected. Which is awful if we could preclude all of this by ensuring yeah. that pregnant people and women have the information to know, hold on a second here, I haven't had an FBC, you know, you get an FBC done at 12 weeks. And it's not again checked until maybe 36 weeks, if at all, depending on your care provider. Imagine the gap and the amount of iron you've needed in that and the amount of people that then fall into a category of they were fine at booking, but they're not now. And also, you know, we've also looked at research on what we consider heavy periods, what we consider as people accepting that you feel awful during or after your period. So we're not even talking about pregnancy. We're talking about, you know, in a wider scale, the health care of, of women and, and people with uterus and people who menstruate. You know, that it's just so important that we get the message that we shouldn't just be accepting that we feel rubbish around our periods or that tiredness is just a part and parcel of pregnancy. There will be factors of that, but it shouldn't just be written off as, oh, I'm just pregnant. And what's it's interesting there when you're talking about, you know, our women's reproductive health in general, that there was a, a study that I read just probably last week, I think it was, because now that we've been talking about iron and anemia, it's like I, I'm seeing all of, all of these studies to kind of show up now. Yeah. But it was looking at women's periods during COVID and that they're showing this correlation between the stress of what we've all been dealing with this, this last, you know, coming up on two years, that women were trending towards having much heavier periods. So for anyone who's listening in today and they're planning a pregnancy and have gone through COVID now with the, it's definitely something you want to have checked. And for teens that are just starting their periods and for anyone who's in menopause who might be suffering from, you know, flooding, that yes. this is this is like this is the whole gamut of women's reproductive health, not just for pregnancy. And, you know, when do we get taught this stuff? Unless you have, you know, a very active biology and a very engaged biology, you know, this stuff isn't really taught. So a lot of women around the world have no idea if their peri periods are heavy or not. They consider, you know, going through pads or tampons at a very high rate to be perhaps normal for them because some people are very period adverse or, or it's very it can be very challenging for people to discuss discuss this even within their own families. So we don't really you know, we, it's ex, it's expected that we have to just get on with it. And I just don't accept that to be the case at all. And I think we need to start advocating for ourselves and each other to go and hold on a second here. I don't want I'm not accepting that I'm just going to be exhausted for my period or exhausted preconceptively or exhausted for my pregnancy. I want to ensure that I'm optimizing my own health and taking that into my own hands. And how do we change the narrative? We put pressure on the care providers. This is so important that we 
I suppose, encourage them to look at, at this in a much more holistic sense as opposed to just ticking boxes or go, oh, you're fine. You've no history of iron deficiency. I'm not going to do a ferritin on you. Why not? I guess it comes down to if you don't know to ask, then you don't. And then you can end up suffering and potentially your baby as well. Uh, they're starting off life with a significant disadvantage because yeah, you didn't know exactly. to ask. And, yeah. And Tracy, you can correct me, but within the, to the best of my knowledge, and it's been a while since I did one, but they don't really ask a lot of questions about your menstrual history, even in your booking visit. No, and, and um, they don't. No. No, they don't. So when, unless you're asked a question, how would you know to to even, you know, to offer up that information? Yeah, I've had really heavy periods before I got pregnant. And think about how relevant that is to yeah. this person's health. It's crazy that it's not considered. And then we have the added kind of insult then in some places where where after baby is born that they don't practice optimal cord clamping. So if you're already starting off and low iron and baby is low iron and then we've clamped the cord immediately and and we've 30%. Yeah. And all that beautiful fetal hemoglobin, which is so amazing and so much better at carrying and all those gorgeous stem cells and all all of the stuff that belongs to that baby and it goes into a, a, a you know a, a bucket it just it blows my mind that we don't look at this going you know how do we in a very simple way by doing nothing and keeping our hands to ourselves give this little person a really great start in life and imagine that is as easy as waiting and yeah. doing optimal cord clamping you know by just leaving it alone yeah and if only we did, if only there was a lot more leaving it alone. Um, exactly. I was about to walk. say, well, with, with yeah. our current state of very medicalized birth around the world, it's quite hard sometimes to find a care provider who will just leave things alone unless there, you know, there's a problem presenting. It's hard or to sit trust, on, on our hands. trust the journey or trust the physiology of it. There is such a lack of understanding, particularly amongst obstetricians, about the normal natural physiology. If you ask most obstetricians, have they ever seen a physiological third stage? When was the last time that they saw a hands-off birth? When was the last time that they saw birth with an intact perineum? When was the last time they saw a birth that wasn't on a bed? And that also, you know, that goes for the whole gambit, obstetric nurses, midwives, the whole lot. Most people, or a lot of them, are uncomfortable with the normal natural physiology. And that's something on us all. But we need to demand better and to listen to women and pregnant people about what they need and what they want, as opposed to putting it in this this managed, in inverted commas, thing. You know, women do not need to be managed. Pregnant people do not need to be managed. They need to be listened to. Listening listening would be a really good start. Yeah. But Avril, I want to talk to you a little bit about this new research uh, about yes. active iron and yeah. because I'm sure we've got we've got lots of listeners wondering, OK, so, OK, I find out tomorrow that I've low ferritin and or and I'm really not thrilled about the idea of eating so much spinach or so much Weetabix. <laughs> Tell me about this study and why it's so important. 
what wanted the whole study design was to investigate firstly the prevalence of inadequate iron levels in a screening cohort of study of women so this is a study of actual women of childbearing age who already had said that they had tried other irons and there had been they they, they didn't wish to take them because normal iron supplements as most people will tell you have a huge amount of gut irritability. They make you very windy. They can make you very constipated. And therefore, because the GI tolerability and the kind of lack of e- efficacy to take these a huge amount of the tablet to get at a tiny percentage of the actual iron into your system. So a lot of people don't take them because the treatment is, is, is worse um, than the condition. Why would you take it? So active iron is totally different. So it is a, a lower dose, but it's wrapped in these in a little basic capsule. So it goes, shoots down to the bottom of your stomach in a place called the duodenum, which is actually where iron is absorbed. And iron is absorbed not directly, but through a carrier mechanism. So this magic little tablet means that 100% of what's in, in it is bioavailable which is kind of amazing in comparison to perhaps 10% of other types of iron. So big message is not all iron supplements are created equally. A lot of supplements haven't actually changed in function or form in about 40 years. And also it tends to be liquid irons. While they don't irritate you, most of them aren't actually providing you with anything additional to what you would get in, you know, in a salad. So and that's why I'm I suppose I'm passionate and I obviously do work for them. So I do have a huge bias, but they're constantly checking as to whether the supplement really does work. They had uh, two groups. So one was treated with 25 milligrams. One was treated with 50 milligrams. What they found on all of the groups. And then there was obviously uh, a group that had nothing. So just had a placebo. So what they found was that they Basically, they were hugely tolerable, so six times less gut irritation um, and therefore four times better ability to continue taking it, which is amazing. So women were uh, happier to take it and they had no had no gut irritation, so none of the side effects. And 94% of them showed an increase not just in their hemoglobin, but in their iron stores. So which is kind of amazing. And how so, long were, were these people taking the supplement, the so active So six arm? weeks initially and then 12 weeks. So within six weeks, they had increased their um, hemoglobin and had increased their iron, um, which is kind of amazing, like a 94% that, that showed a significant improvement. So, for example, the iron store is up from 8 to 15 international units per litre. This increase was sustained um, at the 12 week mark. Wow. So, so thinking of the, the iron tablets, you, you kind of, the over the counter ones, they're the big horse tablets that you're trying to, you're reluctantly taking and then you're ended up, you know, with, you know, constipation comes along with pregnancy anyway. And then you have iron on top of that and how and, and miserable so, so you can be. It's horrible. So no wonder people aren't keen on taking them. Yeah. And, you know, if the carrot at the end of the stick is something that you have to think about in the fourth trimester, you're only thinking about now. You have enough to yeah. be dealing with. 
So so no wonder people are not keen on taking it. And that's what makes this supplement so different, because it means that you can take it just alongside, you know, your folic acid, your multivitamin, whatever. And you don't have any of the downsides, but you get all of the benefits. It just makes sense because when um, for somebody who is in, again, not in an optimal state, the end of their pregnancy, uh, you know, you'll hear of, of, you know, people who are planning maybe a home birth and then they've had their their iron levels checked and now they're it's their home birth is gone because they're. And that's that's what I was going to say, Tracy, you know, you know, you ensuring that your health is optimized means that you are making sure that nobody will be able to take your decisions away from you. Because they can't treat you as a patient because you aren't one. So, mm, you know, yeah. and, and and that kind of stuff can happen all the time. You're planning this lovely home birth. You know, you're doing all of your gentle birth. You're, you know, you've, you're really engaged with your body. You're learning all about yourself. And all of a sudden you get your blood test done at 36 weeks and that's ripped away from you. And that makes me really, really sad, but a little bit angry because I guarantee that that said same family were not told at 12 weeks, get your ferritin checked, ensure that your hemoglobin, if your your hemoglobin is low, you're not going to be able to have your home birth. And I guarantee that that is not advertised. So yeah, and for some people, they they end up, you know, trying to get iron infusions and this mad rush awful. at the end. The problem is between 36 weeks and when you deliver your baby, that is a time that your body is using the maximum amount of iron. So if your iron is low and your ferritin is low, there is no way that your body can physically get your iron levels back up to a sufficient level where your options are going to be back on the table. And the treatments are uncomfortable. They're obviously in hospital. They take hours and they make you feel a lot of the time not particularly very well. So NICE guidelines or NICE guidelines would say not to routinely supplement. Exactly. So, And it makes sense that so, you don't just take a supplement just on the off chance. You go yeah. get your levels checked. Absolutely. And they, but they were judging that on the risk versus benefit of ordinary iron supplements not on something that doesn't make you unwell so while i have great respect for guidelines they are just that what they looked at in in the study was sorry what they looked at in the advice were studies of tolerability of older style supplements which are not very tolerable And therefore, people aren't very compliant with them. They weren't looking at something that 94% of people improve not only their hemoglobin, but their ferritin levels, and that there's six times less gut irritation and uh, gastrointestinal discomfort and constipation. So they weren't looking at that one. And then for people who were kind of, you know, chronically low iron at that point when they were participating in the study, when the dosages increased, how did that affect their stomachs and constipation and did did that impact them? The amazing thing is there was a negligible difference between the group on 25 and 50. So as in what I mean by that is people who were on a higher dose increased their stores faster, but weren't any more uncomfortable. So there was no statistical difference in the comfort, in the tolerability, in the gastrointestinal issues on the group of 25 milligrams or on the group of 50 milligrams, which was kind of amazing because you would obviously expect a higher dose 
you've got a higher chance of not feeling great. But there wasn't, that wasn't the case. The difference with the 50 group, obviously, was that they were taking two capsules and that their ferritin was replaced faster. So the, the I suppose the balance happened faster, but the actual discomfort wasn't increased, which is really cool, actually. So I'm sitting and here thinking I'm, I, I, I used to love Floridix myself, but really it's not doing me a whole lot of good. It's not. No, it's not for iron harm, but for iron, it's not because iron is a really tricky thing for the body to absorb. It's absorbed right down at the bottom of the stomach. So the Floridex as a liquid has to go through your entire stomach. So by the time it reaches your duodenum and the carrier mechanism that actually is able to take it into the rest of your body, unfortunately, there probably is a negligible amount. But that is not to uh, say that, you know, there's not lots of other good things in there. But if you are taking supplement, an iron supplement, really a multivitamin is not going to do it for you. You need to take something that is just iron. And then standard rules apply for taking this supplement as in, you know, taking it with vitamin C, not taking it with coffee. The same kind of rules or guidelines would apply there. Yeah. So the vitamin C thing, interestingly, isn't holding as much water as it did. What they're saying now is that it certainly doesn't hinder, but it probably doesn't help in the way that we would have thought it would. It's more based on that you have a, a, a good diet overall but some people are just resistant anyway but with this tablet you take it in the morning and but you can take it any time of day it's more effective if you take it before your breakfast but it's still very effective if you take it with your breakfast but it's a very comfortable tablet in that it's not going to make you feel burpy constipated or crap and still not to take it with caffeine if someone's having their cup of coffee you shouldn't take any supplement with caffeine basically the way it affects how you kind of absorb anything so coffee should be taken at least half hour before after any of your any vitamin or any supplement do I sound like a teacher when I say that um (laughs) but but just caffeine just kind of eats through even a multivitamin so I know people love their morning coffee but take your supplements have a nice glass of uh, water, maybe lemon water. Have a little relax and a little, I, what I always do is a little meditate and then have your coffee. More gentler mornings. That's, that's what I'm in, in favour for, if you've time. Exactly. So Avril, tell me, where can people get Active Iron? So Active Iron can be purchased online. So on the Active Iron website itself, it can also be purchased on Amazon. Right. But there are usually really good deals on the activeiron.com website. So you can get kind of three for two deals. And there's also a really good hub there that has a couple of blogs by me. All of this kind of this is all clinically based data. So this is not just something that somebody is saying just because it sounds good. This is really backed up by respected and really good research and all of that data is there um, for you to read and for people to read and of course people can follow me I'm always open to questions I'm always it makes you know I like to be rigorously asked about stuff it makes me a better midwife and a better healthcare provider but a better representative because I I this learning about this how I got into this was I, I took active iron in my own pregnancy 
and just found it just an absolute game changer. And then I did my own research and then got in touch with the company. So I wouldn't back or promote anything. And I mean, Tris, you've known me for a long time. Sure. But I would never, I, I would rigorously defend something only if it deserves such I, I would never kind of I'm not a snake oil charmer I'm not into giving people false information unless as a scientist I really believe in it and I really believe in this so what would be what would be the message you would want to leave with with our listeners today uh, that are maybe planning a pregnancy or have just found out they're pregnant what would you recommend their next steps are so just use this as an opportunity to go I'm not just going to Um, have a pregnancy, I'm going to optimize my health. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to get really, really healthy. And the first step, hopefully, preconceptively, would be to go and get your ferritin levels checked. If you aren't comfortable with that, start looking at your diet and start taking some really good supplements that are going to arm you, your body, your uterus and your mind with all of the good stuff it needs for you to have a healthy pregnancy and for you to grow a healthy little human. But knowledge is power. And also, if you're not getting, you know, if you ask for your ferret to be checked and there's an eyebrow raised, if it's possible, maybe that's not the healthcare provider for you. Any healthcare provider should be all for you asking good questions and for getting involved and understanding uh, what your own body works and and the physiology of birth. And if they're not pro that, if they're not backing you up, if it's possible, maybe look elsewhere because they should be supportive of that. Just thinking for, for somebody that's depending on, you know, where our listeners are tuning in from, if you're going into a, a busy antenatal clinic. All and they have to do is tick a box. That's, that's re- it's really like as it, simple it, as that. They don't have to take an extra vial of blood. It is, it is checked. It's a, a tiny little extra. It's not expensive, despite what they might tell you, checking um, a ferritin in Ireland costs less than a euro so and an FBC costs about seven. It's a negligible cost in comparison to the information that you can garner from it. Why wouldn't yeah, we want? Yeah, and the health you know, benefits. Why wouldn't we want? Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Why, why isn't this something that we want to know about? That's my, that's I think even a wider question. And I, I think for anyone who does run into any resistance with their their care provider that may be talking to your GP would be another place to another resource to get that test done. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a really simple blood test. And as I said, so many people are walking around. It's guesstimated that about 40 percent of women within childbearing age are walking around iron deficient and have no idea. And that's before they're pregnant. That's scary, isn't it? It's pretty startling, isn't it? And that's in developed countries. That's not, you know, you're, you know, people think, oh, you know, maybe that's somewhere overseas. That's not. That is in developed first world countries. About 40% are walking around with some degree of iron deficiency. I think oftentimes what we do here is for, for someone who is not familiar with the research, they assume this research is coming from a from a third world country and isn't relevant. Exactly. Which, of course, it absolutely is. Avril, thank you so much for thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. Yeah, thank you so much. And if anybody want, has any questions or 
anything at all, please do reach out. And I just want to thank you so much, Tracy, for the opportunity to chat to you and get this message out. I really, really appreciate it. It really is an important message. And to everyone listening, it's it is an opportunity really to advocate for yourself and your baby, your health and take ownership of this journey. And really, I always talk about being a partner in your own care. And, Absolutely. you know, when I listened to you presenting a couple of weeks ago, I thought I like to stay on top of research. And but this isn't an area that I've looked at in quite a while. So for me, this is just brilliant. And I'm really excited to to share this information. And hopefully we'll have lots of people listening in that will be going in requesting their ferritin levels and have that it's when we say, you know, knowledge is power. For me, I always say it's applied knowledge is power. It's what you do with it. So you find out you've got low ferritin, then at least we know, okay, we've got we know what we're working with and we can start, you know, to and help even ourselves. If it's not, even if it's not low, it's a baseline. So, yeah. you know, you get it checked again in 12 weeks and all of a sudden you've gone from a baseline and you've been digging into your reserves. So taking a low-dose supplement for your whole pregnancy might be the answer. Thank you, Avril. This was fantastic. And Avril, do you want to leave your um, your contact details? Where can people follow you on social media? um, So on social media, I'm um, Avril the Midwife on Twitter. I am uh, Avril Flynn underscore com on Instagram. Or you can email me at Avril at AvrilFlynn.com if anybody has any questions. And um, I'm always, I always love to be asked difficult questions. And if I don't have the answer right then, I will find it out for you. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. Thanks, Tracy. Best of luck. Thank you so much. 